Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, Enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Hey, what's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here for another episode, and I'm really excited about this one. I've got Ivor Terrett with me. Did I did I say your last name right? Yeah, that's good, man. I'm used uh, hey. to everything. I really like That's all good. Yeah, Ivor Terrett with me, and he's a very well-respected practitioner in the game. Um, Heard his name a lot before I actually got to meet him. Um, Our paths crossed a little bit out on the interwebs a few times before we really um, were able to shake hands at this last close protection conference. But uh, I'm excited to have him on the game, on the show, and uh, just to start the conversation. How are you doing, Ivory? Yeah, good, man. Living the dream. Living the dream. Good to be here. My first podcast. Yeah, that's okay. I would have thought you'd have been doing a lot of these things. No, I mean, With all the teaching and stuff you're doing and you know, all the information you're putting out. It's good to have you then. Um, so I guess we'll jump right into it. Background stuff, you know, from the beginning. I've butchered a few people's backgrounds by trying to read them. I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> I think everyone's just probably relieved. So, you know, what's what's your background, man? Break it out for us. So, um, it's quite diverse. I know that one of the things that, that a lot of folks ask me and are interested in is is how I got into this. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the various parts of my career that I can thing into to say, you know, when did it really kick off, uh, whether private sector or, or government or military. Um, but the truth is, and, and this not many, many folks know, I think, but um, it was a combination of, uh, um, of love and luck, right? Yeah. So I moved okay. from Johannesburg, South Africa to Cape Town for what was then uh, what I thought, you know, the, the one the love of my life, which it uh-huh. wasn't, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I think and, we've, all um, been. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. And um, um, as a, an instrument to be there with her right after high school, uh, I was working as a bouncer at a, at a bar, right? Heck yeah, that's what's up. There, okay. Right? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, they used to call me, me and a buddy, we used to bounce together. We were called the. Uh, the two Jewish midget bouncers. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's, oh, that's all right. so. So one night we we working the door and um, it was a nice place. It was a, you know it wasn't a very rough place, but you know we yeah. there was someone that was drunk and the short story is he was asked to go home and he, his friends sort of took him out the door. There was no action or violence or anything. Mm-hmm. And on his way out, he turned to me and he said, "Hey, you guys, you such heroes standing at the door." 
why don't you go do something with your skills more worthwhile? And he, in his drunk state, he told us about a uh, security organization. Really? Um, yep. And that was the beginning. I, uh, I found out who it was and where it was and um, mm-hmm. started out with that. And that's actually where I met Max Siegel. That's, that's where it all started. Wow. A long time ago. And um, from there, you know, um, I, uh, I was recruited into to um, upgrade the security of the Jewish schools in Cape Town okay. um, towards the time of the end of apartheid because the, the Jews are always under threat and um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of uh, panic by, by the white communities that no one knew how the end of apartheid was going to play out in South Africa. Mm. So that was a six-month contract. And um, right after that, I went full time to manage the uh, security of the entire Jewish community of Cape Town. So that was around, not a very big community, it was around 20,000 people at the time and maybe around 50 to 70 fixed sites, I don't quite remember. It was a long wow. time ago. Yeah. Um, so that's a part of my background that I don't really, uh, really talk about. It doesn't really touch the private sector where we are now. Yeah. Um, well, that's I mean, awesome. That, that was I mean, pretty cool. Yeah. It's kind of, it's like, you know, I say protector by nature and also by trade kind of is where I find that a lot of the really good guys are. And um, it's kind of like me, like I didn't necessarily choose the private security game. It just kind of, it kind of chose me. It was like, I was like, yeah, I felt like I was going to do it in my heart. And then kind of like you, a door opened and I walked through it. And then all of a sudden, like, you and like, so, you know, you're doing the thing. So there's another part to it that, that something you just said just just reminded me. And I think it's yeah. it's also very, I can count on probably both my hands how many people know about this. But, um, you know, I'm writing a novel. Yeah. Okay? So this okay. is, a, it's not a plug for the novel world. So we can speak about the novel another time. Awesome. But the novel should be coming out really, really soon. I'm, I'm okay. writing. And I'm looking forward to that. The opening scene of the novel, novel, although it's completely a novel, but the opening scene is based on a true scene. So the yeah. opening scene is two kids and the, um, the younger kid was a kid victim, right? Some fucking, oh, sorry, I can't say that on the podcast, yeah. can I? Some, <laughs> you can monster, do what you want, man. Some monster came and, and grabbed yeah. the kid and, and tried to kid, kidnap him. Okay. Um, and that's the character of the story. And then I go on to write about the character that from that day growing up, that character became, had a calling of protecting those that couldn't protect themselves. Awesome. That was me. Awesome. Heck I was yeah. a kid. So, um, so that's really how it started. Right? So yeah. it really started in a field somewhere with some scumbag grabbing me by the shoulders and saying, you know, you're coming with me and throwing me in the back of a car with another two kids. Really? Yeah. So you asked, you know, where did it start? That's where it started. Wow. Yeah. That, that primal fear that I've, I've you know, felt just a few times in my life since then. Yeah. But that's when it changed, man. That's when the wiring changed. Yeah. And you decided like this type of thing had never happened to me again or just no, like you no, changed. No, no decision. It's, uh, I, I mean, I managed to get away. We all managed to get away and, and that's yeah. a story for another day. But, um, yeah. you know, thankfully nothing happened to me. You know, it could have gone a different way. Nothing happened. There's no scar or psychological mm. or any or physical, but, um, no, I think it just uh, had a big part in, in developing who I am and um, yeah. so that I, uh, you know, I like to help people and, um, you know, like I tell people in, when I teach, you know, if this was rocket science, we'd all be rocket scientists, but it's not. <laughs> so this is my way of helping people. It's, Heck yeah. You know, 
it's just the way it's the way we wired. That's we I didn't choose it. It chose me. Yeah, no, I agree, man. It's, it's a certain, there's a certain character, a certain like internal strength. I mean, if I was going to go way back for me, it was the same kind of thing. Like, well, I was okay. So I was from the Bahamas and I was born in the Bahamas. My mom took me to Washington state to grow up. Then I go back to the Bahamas and all the little Bahamian kids are like little, like little Island kids. You know? <laughs> it's like a third world country in their world. So they're just like, Oh, you know, like, look at the American. I bet he's soft. And they like jump me all the time. (laughs) So I'm growing up with my mom. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of chubby and like, you know, a little bit sweet and gentle. Man, they used to just jump me all the time. Like every summer I'd have to come back and fight all of them all over again when I go visit my dad. And that's really when I started to build that self-reliance and really started to build that like little bit of a harder exterior, you know. And then it was after that, it was like, Hey, I was just a chubby little black kid and I wasn't going to let anyone pick on me and then I wasn't going to let nobody pick on nobody else, you know, and then boom, you know, here I am. That's it. Absolutely. You know, um, mom's growing up, mom's in the house. I'm kind of the man of the house when I'm with my mom yeah. you know, and that dynamic. So then I got five little sisters you just blink and then, you know, you start fulfilling these roles. And that's it. So in a sense, you were a protector before you realized you were a protector. You were a protector um, by necessity and, and that created the nature, right? Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right. That's what's up. So then after, let's see, you were saying, so you got into this thing from the civilian side, from Jump Street. Right. And then, then I went to, um, I went to, to Israel. It was always my dream to serve in the, in the IDF. And um, Awesome. I, um, I... I served for a little bit in the RDF. Yeah. Uh, I was injured. Hmm. And then um, I moved to complete my service in a new project that we're doing, which is um, to serve as a, uh, a police officer as part of my conscription, awesome. where I, I served in the old city of Jerusalem. So, I mean, you've been there. You know what that's, it's like? Yeah, man, that's game time. I mean, yeah, I love I, it. I, I love it too. So I, I served there every day in a, in a small, um, you know, very small unit. We, you know, nothing, no... Uh, traffic stops or anything like that it's real work um Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool and then you know when i um when i left the the uh the service i um i was actually recruited into um i'm just thinking while i'm while i'm talking how much Mm -hmm. i want you know to put on here on the on the vocal thing yeah man Uh, in the uh, interwebs exactly so (laughs) i was recruited into a um a, uh, a government detail supporting the U.S. State Department, okay, um, which was started up with the. It was a joint effort of several agencies, um, and that was primarily dealing with the counterterrorism aspect from uh, the security counterterrorism aspect. So I'll say uh, mm-hmm. anti-terrorism, if that's a term. So the anti-terrorism aspect of um, protecting uh, dignitaries and strategic places and strategic meetings and events and things like that. That was a completely wow. covert unit. Um, our unit in uh, Tel Aviv was selected to be the pilot program for all the other ones that rolled out around the world, which was pretty awesome. pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And uh, at some point, I transitioned into the private sector. So, uh, mm-hmm. another unknown fact: uh, we can yeah. see on my LinkedIn, but other you know, other than the nine and a half thousand people I got there, so yeah. some folks don't know. I uh, I um, I went to work in the high tech company. So a friend of mine called me up and said, "Hey, you know." You need a, a a business intel guy, and and you from that side of the you've you've got the intel part, but you know we need a business intel thing for our, our startup. So I jumped over there, and it was pretty cool. 
Um, but after the first year there, I realized it was a startup company and we're living off investments and, you know, we didn't really know if we're getting a salary one month or not. So that's when I opened my first company and okay. a security company and I moonlighted on the side and yeah. uh, pretty much around that time is when I met Christian West. Mm. So we go, Christian and I go way, way back. Um, and uh, that evolved pretty much uh, to where I am now. Between then and now, I've, I've had the uh, privilege to um, to still support, you know, various um, government projects, you know, all for the good guys um, mm-hmm. in a private capacity and, um, you know, and, and work with really, really good people. You know, people ask, yeah. you know, what I love about what I do. I won't speak about yeah. the industry, I'll speak about what I do. Yeah. That is, I get to spend most days with really, really good people. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm, I think I'm pretty privileged to to be doing cool things with great people. Yeah. Nah, man. I had to agree with you 100%. The funny thing is, you answered like my first five questions in that, in that, whole, <laughs> in that whole swerve right there, man. But yeah, no. Um, for me, I, I, I agree with you with the, when you where you're saying work with really cool people, the cubicle thing literally is motivation for me. Like I'm so scared of it <laughs> ending up in a cubicle. Um, I'm really, really glad that, you know, I, the guys on the details and things that I work with, you know, I jive with, man, it's good to be able to have that teamwork and that camaraderie and all that stuff. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, you've got a lot of, so much experience it's kind of like one part of my mind is like no wonder you kind of evolved into the covert uh security kind of vein and then the other part of my head's like how exactly kind of okay yeah <laughs> you know that's a fantastic question so um the core of the core of of what i was doing for most of the years was really the anti-terrorism type security, right? Protecting people in public spaces from the boogeyman. That's really the uh, core of, of what I've been doing. Okay. Um, when I when I left that, the job in the uh, in the government unit, and that was with the, the US state, when I left that job um, and I moved into the private sector, I was in Israel, right? So I'm this guy, I've, I've got you know, what I think is pretty decent experience. And I'm in the, I've got a company. How do I get business? How do I differentiate myself from everyone else? So I could have said, well, you know, EP, I've, I've done it at, you know, up to head of state level. Um, awesome. Anti-terror, secure, regular security, I've done it. I've done major events. I've, you know, done the risk and all of that stuff. And this we're talking over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, then I thought, but there's other folks that have done it. Like I'm in Israel. I'm in yeah. the melting part of, you know, so it's going to be me saying I've, I've worked with head of state and there's going to be another 3,000 people that have worked with head of state and another 6,000 people that have accents. So that's qualifies them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Everyone's doing it there. Exactly. So, so I thought, well, what in my career can I, can I leverage that will differentiate me from everyone else? And that's, yeah. and I looked and I saw the most recent block that I've done was on the COVID protection and government surveillance detection team. Mm. And that's that's where I I put the emphasis on to differentiate myself from the market, and from there it, it just grew much. I won't say much bigger than I was because it's still not mainstream, um, but that's where it started. Yeah. Uh, so way back then, that was that was circa nine, uh, it would have been around two thousand and two, a long wow. time ago. Wow. Um, 
so yeah, so that's the, the COVID aspect. The COVID aspect was a very cool part of my career that I that I worked in um, at the government level that I leveraged to market and differentiate myself from everyone else. And that itself created more market noise and more opportunity to work in it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, looking back, you know, it's been over 20 years that I've been swimming in the, you know, in the pond of the gray man. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a fantastic journey. It's really yeah. been a good journey. Um, and, and, you know, people ask what I like about it. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not on top of the principal. I don't get in the spotlight. I don't get in the camera lens. Mm-hmm. And best of all, I get to do my job, right? So I don't have to, I'm not, you know, when we're doing covert work, we're not the guys that are asked to, hey, uh, principal needs some tea. Can you run out and get some tea? Or, yeah, yeah. you know, the other stuff, which is extremely important to our success on the, to the business of EP. Absolutely. But when we're doing the COVID thing, we sort of left alone to do our job, which is yeah, sort of, yeah, I like it. It's pure. That's yeah. Pure. That's awesome. Okay. Um, man, I had such a good question <laughs> when yeah. I was listening to you. Um, Okay, so just for our listeners uh, at different levels, civilians and experienced, can you break down the gray man concept real quick for them? Um, when you say gray man, um, yeah, you caught me. Yeah, you caught me a little bit off, you know, off center there because I I used it now, but I generally don't use that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really just not attracting attention to yourself. Yeah, um, and you know, pulling that into the whole covert. Thing. The COVID mm-hmm. thing is not necessarily the gray man. It's more mm-hmm. about hiding your true purpose of what you're doing. It's not, okay. you know, people, and up until about six years ago, I used to use the term blending in. Yeah. Um, blending is not an objective. It's, okay. it's one of the methods that we use. It's a technique. Uh-huh. It's not always the right it's a tool. Okay. It's a tool. The objective is to hide our true purpose of being there. Okay. But it's, it's, you know, blending in might be a tool that's pertinent or not, that might be effective or not effective. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I want to be, maybe I want to be the guy dressed in a, in a lion costume handing out flowers, uh, yeah. flyers, right? Yeah. I'm not blending in, but I'm hiding my true purpose of being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the gray man concept is generally being out of the, being out of the limelight, which, um, and I gotta give credit where credit's due to yeah. uh, to Mr. Elijah Shaw. Yeah. So E Elijah He's good. Man. Like He's good. He had a good episode on here, man. It's one of our most listened to episodes. He, <laughs> we had a good time. Highlander. So, when I when I had my company, um, um, Multi Tier Solutions, my first company, many many uh, evolutions ago. Mm-hmm. I was working quite closely with Elijah, and um, Elijah looked at the website and said, "This is great." Yeah. But how do people know who you are? And I said, well, I've got my background and it's, a, you know, I think it looks pretty good on the website. And he said, it does. But how do people know who you are? He said, you can't be in the shadows and be marketing yourself in business at the same time. He said, tell people who you are. You have nothing to hide. And he actually, Elijah is to blame. To blame. <laughs> and, and to thank at the same level. Yeah, like yeah. A sort of um, social media whore that I am today. <laughs> right. Which I'm thankful for because that's yeah. you know, that's very important in the business world of today. It really is. Like, I mean, you know, I agree with you. I've been kind of putting myself out there for a little bit now. And um, I think it's something that the private security world is a little bit 
very leery to, and for good reasons. I've seen guys do it incorrectly and just destroy themselves. Um, so it's got to be done right. One thing you said real quick back there that I wanted to just point out that I thought was awesome was what it, it sounded like you took some time and you figured out your niche and you drilled yep. down and you figured out how niche, whatever, however you want to say it, how can I differentiate myself from everyone? And like, just for everyone listening in terms of business practice, this is a very tactical and uh, is a very wise move. Um, it's if, if you want to make an, an impact in an industry, I would say this is a technique you really should look at. You got it. What do people know you as? What guy are you? Are you the celebrity guy? Are you the, you know, corporate guy? Are you the, you know, covert guy? Um, think about what you have that other people don't have or just what hasn't been done yet. Cause That'll get you ahead. You don't want to run in the rat race. Absolutely. Or, or what is being done, yeah. but it's an it's a already a niche. So sometimes that's even better because okay. when there's a niche that's happening and say a small percentage of the market is doing it, but they're working in it, mm. you don't have to you don't have to create the market. You just have to be better, uh, the best within that small niche. Um, yeah. Whereas when you start from zero, you've got to create the market awareness and you've got to create the market. That's true. Um, so, um, you know, and, and it was pretty cool. Um, it was a pretty cool journey, but it's been long. And, and, you know, it's been over 20 years and it's only recently uh, becoming more mainstream. And, you know, and that's because you've got, you know, really industry pioneers like Christian and Brian and the team over at AS that are really mm. pushing this out and the clients are asking for it. So that's helped yeah. propel it into sort of mainstream services. Yeah. Uh, but before that, it was, you know, it was okay, but it wasn't really flying forward into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think with kind of the landscape, the way clients are now, they're very much, you know, it's not as much like, I don't know. I feel like the older kind of generation of EP was more like, I don't know, you could get like a Steven Seagal on there <laughs> and, and you could get like more overt protection is just what was expected. You know, now there's so many different uh, political and um, kind of social dynamic type considerations with regards to image and other things that the protection game is changing. You have people that want protection that don't want protection. You know what I mean? Or they don't want to appear that they have protection. Right. And that's one of the advantages of the covert side. It's a huge advantage from the business point of view, but the mm -hmm. biggest advantage is actually the tactical advantage where in a typical situation, the adversary, whoever they may be, whether it's a, um, you know, just someone looking to embarrass the principal or someone looking to harm the principal, the first thing they'll do is assess the security and then work out how to circumvent the security. Whereas mm -hmm. where we work covertly, we reclaim their tactical advantage because they're not working out how to circumvent us. They don't know that we're there. So yeah. we, can, we can surprise them as opposed to them surprising us. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not the only way to do it. It's part of, it should be part of a bigger process. And that's what's happening and it's been happening for a while, but it's happening more and more now where the cookie cutter approach is taking the back seat and it's more of let's have a look at what are your threats, where are your vulnerabilities, and then now that we see where the vulnerabilities are that they've been mapped over to probable critical threats, now let's devise a protective strategy. Mm -hmm. And once we have that strategy, let's look at the tactics. And the tactics might be overt or covert or low profile or, or whatever it is. Um, but that process is really key 
in understanding what is best to, to plug those gaps and plug those holes. Awesome. So if you were going to explain covert protection or covert kind of type of agent or that approach to someone, layman's terms, how would you describe it to them? What does it look like? Sound like, take like. <laughs> Can I do a quick sales sales plug right Yeah, there? absolutely. So, absolutely. First week of April, we're running a COVID protection class. I'm teaching on behalf of AS Solution in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, you know, come one, come all. Not all, but, you know, good guys. <laughs> um, so that's the first part. Second part is, um, it's very, you know, I, um, I sort of, created my own definitions for high profile, low profile and covert um, tactics to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I define them as follows. So I define the high profile tactics as security measures, which are visible and clearly security to both the trained and untrained eye. Okay. So we'll see it. We know it's security. My grandma will see a chill note security. It's all good. Right. Yeah. And this isn't specific to executive protection. It's any security. Then there's the low profile security, which I, I came up with a, a, you know, a parallel definition, which was um, security measures that are visible to the trained eye, but not recognizable as security to the untrained eye. So that would be when we're traveling and we see the contractor or yeah. we see another EP detail or whatever it is. We know that security, but the, you know, my grandma might not. The plaid shirt and the G-Shock watch with the Oakleys hey. and sand on them. We know where he came from. <laughs> hey, I know, it's all good. It's yeah, all yeah. Good. no, no, we're not hating. I'm just saying. <laughs> but so, so we recognize that, but, right. but you know, other folks that aren't in the industry might not. Right. So that's the low profile, and then the covert is. It is often confused with the low profile. It's it's not really related to dressing down or. Or, you know, dressing like you wouldn't dress if you were doing security or a contract. It's not about that. It's about measures and tactics that are used that are unrecognizable as security, both by the trained professional and by the untrained. So mm. we wouldn't know that they're security, right? Um, my grandma wouldn't know that they're security. She, she doesn't know anything. But we wouldn't know that they're security, even though we've been in the industry for a long time. Um, mm. We just wouldn't know because, you know, that might be the guy or girl in the lion suit handing out flyers or waving a sign saying, you know, I'm dry cleaning that way or whatever it is. That's COVID. It's hiding the real reason we're there. Um, And it's less related to the type of clothes we wear. You know, some folks say, don't dress tactically. And I say, what if you're doing Coco at the shot show? Yeah. So it's not about what you wear. It's about this. It's about hiding what you're doing. Yeah, but it's about knowing what's appropriate for the time, place, duration, and your your story. Who are you? What are you doing there? Wow. Okay. What would you say? Well, I guess you address them. Are there any like salient or like kind of main like big deal misconceptions you see when it comes to talking with people about covert or subversive aspects of security? If I use the words right there. <laughs> yeah. So subversive. Uh, I'd rather, you know, subversive has a bit of a negative connotation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so it's not true. You know, because the only people we really Machiavellian security. <laughs> well, the only people we really want to hide the security from are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, some of the misconceptions are that it's it's just about changing what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, other misconceptions are about you know the type of earpiece you use. It's and I'd say probably the biggest misconception is that it's not a one-stop shop solution. If mm-hmm. you 
to be part of a broader strategy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, some people, you know, you might be dealing with uh, whatever your client circumstances that they don't want the public or, you know, or shareholders to see the security all the time. And not because they're doing something wrong, but because it might upset um, confidence in the company and it affects shares or it might upset the kids or the kids might be teens and then the friends tease them because they're walking around with security. Um, so there's a lot of aspects like that. And um, that's really where it comes to play now is that you can provide um, complete security, a, an answer where, where the client feels comfortable, where we enabling the client to be, to feel happy and to yeah. feel safe while actually being safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what, what are the, and that's really it, you know, there's a, a lot of misconceptions and, um, you know, I'm working a long time with a, a, a close colleague and friend with Caleb Gilbert. Okay, and, yeah. You know, Caleb prints it out. I said something to Caleb once and he prints it out in his office and it's, you know, CoPro is not simply removing the earpiece from the ear. It's a lot more than that. It's a much broader, um, you know, it's a much broader, or it pulls much, you know, a much broader strategy. It's a, a tactic mm-hmm. that results from a much broader strategy. Uh, so it's not a one-stop shop. It's not the only answer. It needs to be part of something broader. Yeah. So it's just, it's a tactic within like the overall kind of the overall right. strategy, a bolder yeah. strategy. Exactly. Right. exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think just that by the nature of a lot of what happens in our industry is people become like disciples of an ideology then right. they kind of are like, this is the only way. And like, they kind of have their way. Well, let, let me put it in, let me draw a parallel, right? And I'm just, yeah. that's why we're talking. Mm-hmm. If you go look at um, NYPD and I'll use them as an example because they're really, really top of the game at this. Yeah. You NYPD, you see the uniforms, police officers in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a completely covert aspect to that as well. Yeah. Everyone, everyone plays their part to, there's not only one way, it's all part of the broader strategy. Absolutely. So you've got your covert guys, your undercover guys, your detectives, you know, it's all, everyone has their part to play. And and it's the same with us. 100%. And it gives the clients more options. It's kind of like for us, you know, church security on our campuses, we have our overt guys. We have our exposed carry guys that are geared up, exposed weapons, and, you know, they're out front and they're highly visible because that's their job is deterrence. And then we have uh, another layer of roughly a dozen or depending on which campus you go to of all the off duty police officers and CCWs and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So there's, there's a over, there's a multimodal approach there too. And then, you know, you never know if it's the lady in the bookstore next to you who's on the security team and you never know, especially now with Zillow and the Bluetooth technology, no one's wearing surveillance kits anymore. So <laughs> it's even, you know, it's even more the communications. Really um, kind of that's, a, there. that's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really? The, uh, the the covert comms is a, a whole nother a whole nother thing. Um, covert comms, they even had a cool name. <laughs> covert comms, but uh, you know, this yeah, there's no cell phone technology that gives the the comprehensive answer to that. The other technologies, mm-hmm. uh, but not the cell phone and, and not the Bluetooth. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, what did you say? I got to go take that class, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> April, April Fool's, we kick off, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to link <laughs> up with you after this. Good to go. And I kind of like um, the mission statement on your website. If you guys haven't seen, um, if you guys haven't seen Ivor's website, it's amazing. Enablement.biz. And the mission statement here is to enable you to achieve your goals without uh, hindrances resulting from risks or unnecessary limiting security measures. And when I saw that, I was like, exactly. Because part of what, you know, part of what I want clients to experience and feel when I get in there with a detail is that, hey, we're not going to get in your way. Right. Um, we want this to be as seamless of a relationship as possible. We just want to keep you safe while you live your life, you know. Um, and that sounds like this is another piece that can help people do that. Uh, absolutely, and then, yeah, you know that's that's really what what we aim to do as a as a business is to enable them to do what they need to do. Awesome. You remove that risk factor that might hinder them, and um, we're not going to put any unnecessary security measures in. Um, and we will, you know, as a company and, and me, when I'm working with a client, I'm I'm not afraid to tell a client what's going to work and what's not going to work, and the mm. client can say. Well, I don't want this, this, and this, and I'll say fine. But just so you know, you know that's resulting in risk from A, B, C, D. You know, it's the client's choice, but it's it's my duty of care to inform them, you know, in an informed and of course respectful way, and everything, what the ramifications are. Right. Um, and on the flip side, you know, we're never going to sell anything that's unnecessary, mm-hmm. uh, especially since you know my business, we don't actually provide any operational services. Um, for protection at all. We don't provide EP agents. We don't provide people. We provide advice. You just reminded me of my other yeah, question. I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm helping you out, your brother. I'm helping yeah. you out. Yeah, I know, because I'm looking at, like, your website was gorgeous. I'm looking at everything. I'm like, man, this whole presentation. And I'm like, he's got the consulting thing. Um, so why did you choose to go that route and, and set it up that way? Uh, without ops? Um yes. That's a good question. I'd say the the, the most uh, simple answer and the most honest answer is I didn't want to. I'm tired of running ops. <laughs> That's what's up. Yeah, it's been you know the 20 years of having a direct contact to operations, mm. and um, I'm tired. I'm tired of it. It's uh, I want to focus in imparting knowledge and imparting completely um, objective advice where. Um, where I'm, I'm not going to be saying to someone, hey, you know, we're going to do a personal security vulnerability assessment or a risk threat vulnerability assessment. Mm-hmm. Hey, you need to have a team of, you know, 12 overt agents, six covert agents, a, you know, a helicopter and a G5. Hey, let me supply all of that to you. Mm-hmm. So there are companies that, that do the whole turnkey thing, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But definitely for the first few years of my business, that's not the space I wanted to be in. I wanted mm-hmm. to focus. Um, this is the second business that I've owned. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the first time around, I had a great business, but I wasn't focused. Mm-hmm. So I was going wherever I thought there'd be business today. Um, so, we, you know, we offered operations, training, consulting, software, everything, mm-hmm. which was great. It was a nice little business, but it wasn't focused. Um, and, you know, it's stressed to manage multiple, multiple services, from right. a very small business, you know, I've got a few consultants that work with me, 
But ultimately, it's a one-man show. I don't want to be running ops 24-7 across the world. Yeah. Uh, I've, you know, I've partnered with great companies. I'm partnered with, I'd say, you know, the leaders in the industry. Mm. I don't need to run that when I can just say, hey, speak to these guys. Yeah. I don't need to do that. I don't need to deal with that. It's, I'm, I'm not on a race for the money. I'm not on a race to get to build a, an empire right now. I'm on, on the, I'm on a race to give my clients the best that, that they can get. You know, I'm on a race to truly help them do what they need to get done and, uh, and mitigate risk, real risk for them. Yeah. But, you know, that's, uh, so that's why I didn't go to ops. It's just too much. I don't want the stress. Yeah. I want to start winding down a little bit. No, that's awesome, man. It sounds like you like, well, lesson is focus, you know, yep. It's hard to be potent and good at something when your focus is diffuse and broken up. And absolutely, uh, and, and you know, just to, to put a point on that, it's you know, the first of January was marked, you know, at the end of year one of enablements advisors. Yeah. In those twelve months, um, we provided services in twenty-four countries on five continents. Wow. Yeah. So throw the operations aspect of that. I'll, I'll employ it. I just. I don't need it. Yeah, I'm all about you know happiness and, and reducing you know stress mitigation, risk mitigation to myself. Yeah, yeah. and you know doing kind of more what you're passionate about, um, doing more kind of what you're passionate about, passionate about, and trading that for you know, um, you know something that just didn't really you've done already for 20 some years you know exactly. it sounds like you're doing what like you said imparting information and making sure your clients are good like you could hear the like passion in your voice like this is what i'm here for you know and you know if you would have had ops running you would have been on the phone the entire t- on the computer the entire time man, man. exactly i'd rather just hand that off to the, the guys who are in the game energetic. exactly this this you know it's good guys out there. You know, I'm happy to, to just throw the work about. Um, yeah. I, my first week of announcing enablement advisors, I got calls from clients saying, hey, we've got this happening, we've got that happening, can you supply a driver, can you supply EP? And I was tempted. Yeah. Of course we tempted, right? Because it's, it's income. Yeah. And I just said, I, I didn't even say to them, yes, I'll do it and then subcontract it. Yeah. I just said, you know, I don't do this, but you know, if you want to speak to this person or that person, they'll they'll help you out. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, I'm all about being happy. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm all about being happy, man. It's very it's a very simple equation. Yeah, happiness. So, how did happiness become such a strong value in your in your world? Uh, probably <laughs> probably from being unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, you know, sometimes you hit, I wouldn't say rock bottom, I've been fairly lucky, but sometimes, you, you know, you hit a bit of a down phase and, mm-hmm. you know, one day I just realized, like, you know, I'm unhappy. Why am I doing this if it's not making me happy? Let me yeah. just be happy. And I'm not talking about ops. I love ops. I'm not talking yeah. about that. I'm talking about just things in general. Yeah, in life, we're talking about life. I'm a firm believer that, you know, there's things out of our control that mm-hmm. are pretty crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, life sometimes quite unfair. But the yeah. things that are in our control, both for stress reduction and, you know, and happiness encouragement, we should do. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, I'll, I want to live long and prosper. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. No, I dig it, man. Uh, you know, that's the bottom line. 
No, that's, that's awesome, man. Cause it seems like it's working out for you. It is working out for you, you know? And I think that when a strong enough man has a value like that and he has like boundaries and it's like a non-negotiable, as long as he's diligent and intelligent, that's just a matter of time. Really. I feel like, um, until he finds that. Yeah. yeah. And it's key. It's like, you know, I tell people, this, you know, if something doesn't make them happy, if they get up in the morning and, and don't want to go to work, they got to change what they're doing. Yeah, and it's on them to do that. <laughs> it's on them to do it. It's like, you know, some people say, I can't, uh, you know, uh, what am I going to do? We can always do something. Um, yeah. My good friend, Mac, Mac Siegel, uh-huh. said something to me. He said, um, you know, everything's a choice. He said, everything has a price, but everything's yeah. a choice. Yeah. So you just have to decide on the price mm-hmm. if the price is right. But it's everything's up to us, you know, almost yeah. Yeah. So it is in our control. We need to control and we need to make positive and, and not let, you know, us be controlled by other things. Yeah. Yeah. No, control what you can control. No, I'm 100% with that. And, you know, I just want to echo that. Like if you're waking up and you're kind of like, this sucks. Or like for me, I went to SHOT Show this last week. Then I'm driving back and I'm getting ready to get back into work and everything. And so I spent the week in Vegas at this big gun convention just hanging with a bunch of people that I love and respect and like, you know, having a good time in the industry. And then, Oh, half the people are like, Oh, got to go back to real life. I'm like, yo, I get to get back. Exactly. I got a shooting competition. I'm going to go to work on Sunday, see some clients do this, do that. I'm excited. And I just, I'm driving back from Vegas and I'm like, man, I feel so blessed that this is the life I get to live. Um, and I feel bad for anybody who's not going to drive back to something they want to get into. Now, you know, did God like align some stars and just drop it in my lap? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know what I mean? He was like, I gave you a planet. I gave you an able body. I gave you a decent brain. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right? Like the, all those things are a miracle. Get after it. You know what I'm saying? So, so I like to I like to equate exactly what you said to Tetris. Remember Tetris? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So life, yeah, life is like a game of Tetris. We're given the blocks. We just need to know the timing and how to place them. Heck yeah. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and you know, people say to me, and it very often happens where I'll be speaking to, you know, a colleague will be out, you know, working, training together or consulting, mm-hmm. and I'll say to them, I'll say, hey. I'll say, you realize this is our job? Like, we're getting paid for this shit? Right. (laughs) It doesn't get much better than this. I mean, serious, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And it's a a good industry. And if you align yourself with the right people in the industry, I'm not talking about strategic alliances. I'm just talking about who you surround yourself with. Just good people. Yeah. Just good people and, and good clients, right? Yeah. That's a big one. That's a big one. Good, you know, know when to say yes, know when to say no. Mm-hmm. I go in to admit, hey, this isn't working. Let me let me change. Um, mm-hmm. So as long as you know how to recognize and, and action that, uh, you'll be pretty happy. Yeah, uh, and it's important to be happy, man, because we, you know, we need to uh, work to live, not live to work. Yeah, there's... Work, work is the ends. You know, it's it shouldn't be the uh, work is the means. It shouldn't be the ends. You know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and no one's coming to save you. Don't put it off for another day. (laughs) You got to do it. It's all on you. Yeah, 100%, man. Nobody's coming. Life doesn't care. You'll be the best dress greeter at Walmart, you know, if you don't figure this out. And nothing against that, but I'm just saying. Absolutely. And you know what? If that's what makes you happy, all the power to you. 
Yeah, yeah. Then put a smile on people's faces, man. Yeah. You know? And I know, I know that sounds pretty corny, all the stuff I'm spewing out, but it's true. But it's, it's my philosophy. Yeah, man. I dig it. I, philosophy is just be happy, do good to, you know, do good to others. Don't be a dick. And yeah. Just, that's really my philosophy. <laughs> that, that show, you know? Yeah, man. No, I dig it. And it's, it, I hate it because it sounds so cliche, but the real good stuff in life, it is. It's cliche because people have been saying it for years and people don't realize how real it is. You know what I mean? Like, don't be it. Don't be a dick. Be good to people. Be a good dude. I sometimes look at guys and just be a good dude, man. Exactly. Like, whatever, you know, give them the extra and have relationship equity with them. Have them remember you as a good guy, a good agent, a good whatever, and go about your way. You know, it'll come, come back around. Um, what would you say were some, um, what's like the hardest lesson you've learned from the industry, the uh, hard industry or doing security or you know, you've learned. I, I, I didn't give that too much thought. I, I guess there's a lot, but really it's, I'd boil it down to being disappointed in people maybe. Yeah. You know, I, um, in the past, you know, I've invested a lot of time and, and money, but money can always be earned, right? Time you can't yeah. get back. So a lot of time in people, um, that are trusted that, um, um, you know, that just didn't, it just didn't pan out when, mm-hmm. you know, when you invest a lot of time in folks and you give them tools, mm-hmm. um, to have a long-term partnership with them and they use those tools against you. Yeah. Uh, that sort of, you know, you know, when my goodness was taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's probably, I'd say on a, that's more personal, you know, but it's in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's off the top, off the top of my head. Um, you know, so that was, that was a hard one because um, it hurts, you know? Yeah. They say um, betrayal is the hardest emotion to deal with. You know, it's the hardest well, emotion to deal with. Yeah. And I don't think it was, you know, it's happened a few times. I've been in the industry a long time. I don't, I don't think it was <laughs> intentional betrayal. It's just, yeah, it's just crap when you invest a lot into someone and they take all of that investment and, and use it to try, you know, to try to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, to better, you know, to forward themselves, um, and it's go ahead. It's also good. I mean, it's good knowledge for people listening, though. You know, it's good to understand. You know, like relationship dynamics with regards to business. In my opinion, you know, it's good to give, and it's good to be good and kind and giving. But when you're talking about business, I think it's wise to make sure that both parties have some skin in the game and to make sure that both parties have motivations and the same motivations and all these things are aligned just so that, you know, in the long run, something like this doesn't end up happening. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But it's, it's, you know, what's even a business thing? It's just, because I'm a good guy. I'm the guy that I'm the guy I've already, I've, I've had this happen to me, what you're talking right, about. Right, right. Because I just don't think people will do it. I think like they're like me, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, we still got to keep on, and I'm a huge advocate and, and folks in the industry want to test to it. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about, I'm not, uh, I'm not selling myself. No, no. Like, yeah. I'm always happy to help people. People send me emails, they ask me stuff. They, I'm always, always, always happy. Yeah. Um, until you try to fuck me over. Right. Yeah, so about the language again. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not vengeful or anything like that. I'm just like, yeah. I won't help you anymore. But um, yeah, I still say, you know, help who you can. Mm-hmm. You know, put it out there. 
pass it forward because, hey, we've all been hungry. Yeah, man. You know? And that, that is a big one, not forgetting where you come from and remembering how you were when you were in that position and what you kind of, what would have helped you out. Or you see someone who's ignorant, you got to think to yourself, hey, I didn't always know all this trash I know now. You know what I mean? I once was ignorant. That's what I, you know, that's Absolutely. how I find compassion. People helped me. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember a time, you asked what the hardest thing was in the industry. Yeah. The hardest thing in the industry was being without, uh, with, without enough work when my roommates at the time when we shared a house, I'd wait for my roommate to make a sandwich and I'd go, I'd wait till everyone was out the kitchen and I'd lick my forefinger and I'd use my wet finger to pick up crumbs on the breadboard. That was my meal. Oh, oh. That's the hardest, that's the hardest thing that I've <laughs> from the industry, right? Yeah, that's pretty legit. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. legit, man. And, and then I got helped and here I am. Yeah, you and know what? I just what? got helped with money. I just got up with guidance and opportunity and, mm-hmm. and, you know, people believing in me. That's, yeah. And that's what I try to you know, pass forward now. That's huge. That's huge. There's so many lessons in that. And people believing in you, then you put your, your best foot forward and you did the good dude thing. You were a good guy and you made them proud and you made, it, made sure they didn't regret it. And here you are. And I find that the most giving and nicest people are those who've been there, those who've been at that rock bottom state and those are the people that are the most kind of really the salt of the earth to me that are most compassionate and that are, that are the kind of people I like to work with. Um, Cause if you've never been there, you don't have like a, it's hard to understand. Yeah. You know? to um, so what would you say is your proudest uh, moment in the industry? A time when you've done something either working or just, and afterwards you were like, boom, that was good. Bangerang, you know? <laughs> So there's been, you know, there's been a few, uh, uh-huh. some obvious reasons, I, you know, I can't speak about here. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's true. Um, but I'll tell you some cool things. So not my proudest things. I'll tell you some uh, cool things. Heck yeah. Um, so cool one was working on a COVID detail with a principal where the instruction was, we, we don't want to, we don't want the family to see any security. We're on a vacation in quite a, a, an elevated risk area. Yeah. And, um, you know, we heard the, uh, the principal's friend saying to him, you know, things like, hey, where's the security detail today? Did they go home? But we were right there. We're close enough to hear them. So we were Jeez. right there, ready yeah. to protect them. It's a small thing, but it's, it's a big Oh, it's good. Yeah. Um, you know, but the, the best, I'd say, the, the proudest moments for me is when a client comes to me and says, hey, you know, so a lot of my clients are the middlemen. Right? So the clients might be the director or the VP or mm-hmm. um, or the principal themselves. But very often it's not the principal themselves. That's just the way I am positioned in the market. Okay. Um, but you know, very often, uh, the, what I really enjoy is when the um, either when the principal or the director or VP or my client, which might be another security company, when they come to me and they say, "Hey." You know, the principal really values what you guys are doing. They really like what you're doing. Yeah. Um, that's really the, the biggest. There's, you know, yes, there's stuff. There's cool stuff. So a recent one. I'll tell you a recent proud moment. Right? Yeah. Oh, so I, worked, I worked with the detail and I've got this, uh, you know, I, I worked with the detail that was somewhat dysfunctional just because it was a, a longstanding detail and whatever. Internal politics made it dysfunctional. Okay. It happens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I went in there. I looked at what was going on. We started off with a complete risk assessment. 
I looked at their procedures because it's pointless to get procedures before you know the rest, right? Right. Looked at all the procedures, rewrote all the procedures for the detail. And one of the procedures I wrote was, um, if anything happens that's, uh, that's seemingly unrelated to the principle, that there's a connection somewhere, and I can't go into too much detail about it, that's why I'm being vague. Right. You guys shouldn't just sit back and say, well, it happened at another site. That's not our site. It's not our problem. These are the emergency actions you need to take. Uh-huh. And three weeks after doing that, there was actually a, a violence attack resulting in deaths at a related site. Wow. That, that didn't directly threaten the principal, but it's a site that's related to the principal. Yeah. And I got feedback um, just a few weeks after when I was talking to the director and he said, hey, by the way, when this happened, just so you know, all the guys did what you taught them and it, it worked. We checked, you know, we did what we needed to do. We checked everyone was good. Um, awesome. But that was pretty proud when people actually, you know, to get buy-in for what you're doing or saying, you just got to be a good salesman. Right. When folks come back and they say, we, we did it. We did Proved it in emergency it. conditions. Yeah. And thank you for it. I don't need the, it is validation. I don't need the validation, mm. but I like to know that it's being recognized that that's ROI. They can turn on investment right there. Yeah. It happens and they go and, you know, what I've said or a sentence I've said, it just clicks with them. Mm-hmm. And then and they mitigate risk to the client, to the principal. Heck yeah. Those are the proudest times when, you know, when, um, yeah, when it just comes together. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man, to have that really validated, you know what I mean? In real world, high speed. I mean, that's that's awesome. I think that's the ultimate validation, man. That's the ultimate kind of litmus test. Um, for me personally, like to have someone come back and say, I mean, with a lot of the motivational stuff I do to have people come back and say, Hey man, like because of you, I was able to X, Y, and Z, or you really got me through. Um, or, you know, at this last close protection conference, dude was like, yo, you got me motivated to, Man, this touched me. He's, you know who you are, man. This touched me. He was like, yo, you got me motivated to get back in the game. I lost a bunch of weight. You know, I'm going after my dreams. Um, the podcast really helped me, you know, get it in gear. And then he hit me up and messaged me on LinkedIn the other day. And he's like, hey, I'm on. He, it, was, it was one message where he's like, basically said, I took your advice. I applied to every security detail I, I, I could I could get my hands on. Nothing yet. But then at the end, he says, I'm going to keep a good attitude. And I'm out of the country doing stuff. I don't catch up with LinkedIn all the time very quickly. I come back and I hadn't seen the other one. I saw both of them at the same time. The very next one was, hey, I did some side work for these folks. They really awesome. like me. Now I'm in-house full-time. Boom! I'm like, that's it. Oh. That's awesome. And it's more than just the work. You right. lost weight. He's better his life. He's better his health. Exactly. You know, that's important. And, um, and that happens. It's great. You know, I teach a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to see when I get messages like that. Hey, just so you know, I'm interviewing for this and I've got this position. Those are proud moments. Even though it's not me, I'm still yeah. proud of these guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it's amazing. I know that one of the things you wanted to ask was, you know, what I love about the industry. Yeah. The people, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great industry. It's a people that care. Uh, it's, you know, it's people that care. It's great people. You know, there's rubbish in the industry too. Oh, yeah. But I don't know them. I don't mix with them. Mm-hmm. So the people that I'm mixed with, the people that I know in the industry are fantastic people. 
Aside of how good they are shooting and underwater knife fighting and ninja skills, <laughs> ninja Vikings, man. <laughs> I gotta be politically. I gotta deal with that. I gotta get the ninjas and the Vikings credit, right? <laughs> right, right, right. But, At the same time, but they're good people. It's good people in the industry. Um, yeah, anyway, man. That's what I love. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and it's good when you just got that good rhythm with the right folks. That's kind of huge. Let's see here. So. Um, do you have any experience back onto the covert thing? Do you have any kind of case, not case studies or experiences where you saw covert protection work and how did that work? How did that, how did it go down? If so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. So I'll tell you on the strategic level, I've seen it work where I've seen principles that are at elevated risk because of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, not because they have a bad lifestyle. But maybe their lifestyle takes part in a, you know, you know, maybe it's just their high profile or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. That simply don't want to feel security that want people to see. Um, and we've, you know, so that's a strategic business success where we put in a co-pro team of partners and I help set that up and that enables them to move freely and be comfortable in the blocks. That's one success. Yeah. But we've had other great successes, you know, we've been, um, and I'm going to stay away from any sort of um, high high speed action stuff because right. there haven't been many in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you some some other important stuff when you're with the principal and they get recognized and you know someone you know you overhear someone who says, "Hey, I want to go get a selfie with them. I want to go mm-hmm. get a photo with them. I want to speak to them about a patent." Which is the worst, yeah. right? Our the the business proposition person, yeah. <laughs> they're yeah, they're they're shopping, and then there's the business proposition person. Exactly. And then there's the you know there's the the COVID agent goes in, and at that critical time, that critical second, as yeah. the person's about to open his mouth to speak to the principal, you know, you tap him on the shoulder from from the other direction, forcing him to turn and say, "Hey, we're yeah. in the directions to here, or I think you dropped your cell phone there, or you dropped your wallet, or something fell out your pocket. Yeah. I'm the guy's like, hey, you, I want to speak to this other dude. Yeah. Oh, principal's gone. It's over. You missed your moment. It's over. So there's a, and there's a lot of those. I mean, I didn't yeah. really prepare any sort of case study off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, no. But there's a lot of things like that. And the, the principals don't even know it's happened. And that's the best. That's the success. That that's is a proud moment when you stop something and that's the success or, um, you know, where you, where there's something happening, something violent happening nearby mm-hmm. and you just, you know, you just redirect away without the principal even knowing what was happening. Heck yeah. No, that's awesome. That's absolutely smooth. What is the, um, do the principals know who the covert agents are? That's a great question. So if they do, it's fine. If they don't, it's fine. Okay. As long as they are aware that there is a team, that's critical. I know some folks have in the past spoken about, you know, hey, the principal didn't even know that there was a team there. That's all great during day to day. But what happens if there's an emergency? They'll think that you're trying to kidnap them and you're trying to eat that. Thing, right? so, yeah. so that's not very helpful. Um, and no, uh, it's, you know, it's gone back and forth. You know, if the principal knows who you are, you're going to get fired. Um, I tell folks, and I stand by it, if you ever get a job where it's covert or overt or whatever, and you're told if the principal sees you, you're going to get fired, just quit the job. You can't protect them like that. Yeah. You know, when we're doing covert work, it's not about the principal not seeing us. It's about them not feeling us. Mm-hmm. They'll see us. 
Yeah. You know, 15 people, but 15 people working every day on a client, the client's going to see who you are. These people are smart yeah. people, right? And yeah, they, don't, yeah. they see you. So it's not a matter of, as soon as we try hide from the client, we're no longer doing COVID protection, we're doing COVID surveillance. Uh, you can't protect from it. You can't protect if you're not close enough to react. Um, so I'm I'm not of the school of thought that says hide from the client. I'm of the school of thought that says don't get in your client's space unless there's a crisis, right? Right. Hide from it. If you're hiding from the client and just watching where they're going, yeah. you're not really mitigating risk. You're just watching where they're going. You're going to watch something happen to them. You're not going to stop it. From yeah, that's good to go. I, I, I like that a lot um, because I have some clients where I give them enough space to where it doesn't necessarily look like we're together. And I'm kind of more blending into that. I look like a civilian as much of a civilian as I can look like <laughs> <laughs> to the, well, where would I land in the rubric to the untrained eye? I wouldn't necessarily look like right. their guy, but to the trained eye, they might pick me up, you know? And there's um, value in that as well. There's value in that as well, because oh, maybe, yeah. may, in your case, maybe yeah. for the congregants, you don't want them to realize, maybe for the press, you don't want them to realize, but maybe you do want the bad guy to see. That's exactly. guy sees you and he says, well, there's this guy here and he's not clearly security, but he is security. Right. How many others do they have? You know, maybe there's other stuff going on that we don't see. Exactly. Yeah. No, and it's, it is, it's totally a tactic far enough for the client to be comfortable and feel like they're having their day, but close enough to where anyone watching them either sees me as overwatch or doesn't see me watching them. So I see them watching the client too. It's always handy when they, you know, someone following them pops in between us. And, yeah. and of course. And, and what really defines the distance, whether you're COVID or over it, mm-hmm. is, um, is risk. Yeah, exactly. How is the risk? Where's the risk from? Yeah. What's or- organic to that environment and kind of relative to the situation and all the different variables. Um, switching gears a little bit into, I want to talk to you about vulnerability assessments. Um, kind of what are the, what are the things that you're kind of definition and primary considerations when you're looking at doing a vulnerability assessment? Okay. So I, I don't do, I don't do a vulnerability assessment. I do a risk assessment. Risk assessment. Okay. So vulnerability is part of it. Okay. So what I do is I look at, uh, based on, <clears throat> based on Intel history input from the, the client. And again, the client's not always a principal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, input from the client slash principal. Um, and then I look at what are the, what are the probable critical threats? So what are the probable, the more probable ways of harm that can come to this personal place or event? Um, what are the critical ones? So what are the ones with the biggest impact? Mm-hmm. And then what I do is I'll examine the existing security configuration. So I'll, I'll look at what I call the four pillars of security. I'll examine the physical security needs, technological security needs, um, the security force for the people, which okay. I used to call manpower, but I, I feel it's not gender fair. It's not gender neutral. So I'll call it the security force. Solid. Um, and I've got huge, a huge, 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 huge place in, uh, um, in, my, in my professional life for female uh, security professionals, just as big as male. Right, yeah. it's about people. It's not about gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the fourth one is the procedures, which have to tie everything together. So yeah. I'll examine what do they currently have in place, 
and then I'm and then I map what they have in place to the critical probable methods of, of harm or threats that we know about or that we've yeah. assessed. Only then can I see the vulnerabilities because the vulnerability is the result of that process. It's looking at and saying what is probable and critical, mm-hmm. and what can get through the current physical, technological, security force and procedures. That's when I know there's a vulnerability, and the vulnerability might be in one of those four pillars. It might be in the physical uh, realm, it might be technological, it might be in the security force, or there might be something which is most often in the procedures back then. Wow. The, the results of that are the vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And that's the process for any project that I consult on. That's the starting block, because only at the end of that process can I know, all right, this is what we need to do to plug your gaps. We need to identify the gaps. Um, that's all, and that's what I taught this last week. We just finished off on Friday. Yeah. Had a group of 14 professionals from um, all over the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did for five days. Is we learned that process of identifying, um, measuring risk to identifying vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then preparing a security plan to plug those gaps and therefore um, uh, lower, mitigate that risk. So everything we're looking to do is remove opportunity for that uh, for the adversary to do harm to our principles or people or places, right? Mm-hmm. So the physical, technological, security force and procedures, it's all designed around one, removing uh, opportunity, and that's during the yeah. day-to-day uh, operations. Yeah. And then the second part is limiting the damage by removing opportunity once a hostile act starts, because it might start. Okay. Um, limit, limiting the damage after. So right. it's not so, one of these like, oh, something happened, you know, like. No. So we're done. Our, job, our job is, our job continues until the incident is over. Um, Good to go. And, and I, I definitely don't buy into the broad brushstroke declaration of if you use a force, you've lost. If you use your weapon, it's because someone's, you know, you screwed up. Or if there's, <laughs> you know, if there's an attack, you screwed up. That yeah, might you already lost or something. It might be the case. Yeah. But it's not automatically the case because when a determined adversary gets to their target and they have the means of destruction, so they have a weapon with them, we, it's very rare that we'll actually stop something from happening before it starts. We can limit the damage. But once someone's there, the chances of us stopping it, mm-hmm. um, are, they're not zero, but they're very, very slim. Once someone's, say that part again, once? Once an adversary arrives at their target yeah. with their weapons and they're determined to do harm. Yeah. And they're determined. It's very rare that we will stop a, 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 attack. a violent attack before it starts. There will be some damage. So we might identify them and try stop them, and that will result in, in them becoming violent prematurely. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, what will happen, realistically speaking, is they'll start an attack and we'll stop it, or we'll yeah. limit the damage. Um, and, and very often when I consult to clients, I see that they've got you know, very robust procedures in keeping the, the principal happy or their place working day to day. But a lot of the procedures aren't developed around risk. And very few have very robust procedures to deal with an emergency. They'll say things like, you know, evac the principal. And I'm like, okay, great. Who's evacuating the principal? Mm. Where are you evacuating to? Mm. And they might say, we're going to the car. So I'll say, oh, where's the vehicle parked? Here's the keys. Mm. You know? Because um, Murphy will get loose 
Murphy will get loose with a baseball bat <laughs> if uh, when something happens. You know, this guy's got the keys. The garage door opener's over here. <laughs> the guy with the keys is on a lunch break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The- <laughs> and, and that's what really happens. And that's why we need yeah. to always think um, several levels past what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or what needs to be done, I should say. Um, uh, recently, I, I was speaking to a group about a particular environment where they wanted to hit the kill switch. They wanted to. Well, well, their solution to the problem was to hit the kill switch for the power, which in this scenario would work. Was, okay. Who knows where the kill switch is? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, that's a good question. And how yeah, yeah. do you know a kill switch? And what services does it actually kill? What does it leave on? Yeah. And then, you know, they start thinking. So that's really how we have to think. And that's the that's the end result of the risk and vulnerability assessment process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so vulnerability is to answer the question in yeah. a short way because I've gone really off track. No, but we, this is so much good content. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah. It's not about vulnerability assessments. It's about assessing risk. And vulnerability is one of those factors. I see. We don't know vulnerability if we don't, if, if we don't assess the threat, we don't know that there's a vulnerability. Okay. So if we don't assess what's probable and critical, what harm can be done, what method can be used, yeah, we don't know that there's a vulnerability for it. Yeah, okay. You know, so I, I might see there's a vulnerability because my door's not strong enough. But yeah. is there an actual threat of someone kicking down the door? Maybe there's not. So then it's not a vulnerability if there's no threat. Right. So it's, it's really like a really... So it's like a... You're basically looking at the entire security like effort absolutely you know, on multiple different levels and that and, doesn't absolutely and looking at kind of the organic situation like relative to the client like well these are the different groups that spoke out against you this last year these are your kind of like um you know these are the types of threats that you're currently facing you know, and then also like almost overlapping those to see where the vulnerabilities are, what you have in place relative to your situation, what's relevant, and then overlapping those to see kind of where the gaps are and making sure that they have a plan to take them through the entire trajectory of uh, a violent situation. Of an incident, whatever it is, of a crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a process. Yeah, wow. All a process, and it's the process, you know, the, the resulting deliverable, the document, mm-hmm. the plan is very important to write down because mm-hmm. the process of writing it forces us to think about various aspects of it. Yeah. It's to keeping it up in our heads. All right. Um, I'm all about the process. And then, and then everyone gets on the same page and then you probably like build, build out SOPs from there right. and the whole exactly. security strategy emerges. Exactly. That's exactly right. Fantastic. And then the security strategy needs to at least acknowledge everyone. So yeah. if you've got an executive protection strategy and you're not considering place of work, you're not considering home, you're not considering the commute, then you aren't, you aren't doing as comprehensive or effective a job as you should be or you could be. Yeah. Outstanding. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the beginning. It's the foundation of any security strategy. Um, that's outstanding 
gouge, man. I learned a thing or two listening to that, you know? <laughs> oh, I'll just make it up. I'll just make it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just keep it going as I'm, you know, as we're rolling here. No. Um, but I, I definitely like that because I've got to do some things coming up here and it's, it's uh, some things to think about um, because I can think of a few different spots and a few different details where it's like, okay, cool. There's a lot of planning, but in terms of post emergency specific planning, you know, there's more that needs to be done. Well, not even uh, post-emergency, during emergency. During. Management. I meant to say it. The emergency post management. Is, there's post as well, but what's critical is, okay, so it's hit the fan. Yeah. Everyone needs to know what they what their job is. Mm-hmm. Um, even if in reality it's not going to be 100% like that, it's a great yeah. starting position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during the emergency. Um, that's good to go. Cause I think a lot of people, I think a lot of these risk assessments, I think a lot of them just are kind of all about, well, here's the situation. Here's how we intend to mitigate this risk. And it really briefs well and it's, and it sells kind of really well, you know what I mean? But the other halves of the equation, you know, during something taking place and on the other side of it, I think that gets left out a lot. Absolutely. And um, you know what I've seen, not all, but a fair amount, a significant amount of risk assessments, on a process of information collection, the assessment and analysis is often left out. Hmm. So you'll get a beautiful document that lists all the information about a site or a person. Yeah. Actually analyze that information and say, there's no, you know, we've got a group that's, uh, there's a group that's been, you know, negatively interested in you. This yeah. is their modus operandi. It's all that you <laughs> have at home. They can yeah. walk straight in. Um, yeah. It doesn't actually go there. It'll just say, this is the group. It won't say, based on what you have at home or the office, your doors are at a level, you know, yeah. intruder-resistant level one where there should be an intruder-resistant level four. Mm-hmm. Like it, just, it doesn't go there. Yeah, no, I just, it's, I completely, I know exactly what you're talking about. It just highlights all the different risks and not the, uh, any solutions. Well, I think, well, I don't know. This could be just my experience, but I see that a lot of guys sometimes hesitate before putting kind of skin in the game when it comes to sometimes saying that you should do things. Um, oh, you got to put your name on it and you got to yeah. step back. Yeah. That's their job. That's the duty of That's their duty. Yeah, I know. So the duty of care to themselves because yeah. if it's a, if it's a detail that's, or it doesn't matter who does it actually, but if something goes wrong and they didn't identify it. Or plan for it. Or plan for it. Then what, what have they really, what have they achieved? They failed. They failed. Their job yeah. is to, Give that that principle that kind the best direction and advice that they can. Did they do that? And if that's if their best advice or direction isn't good enough, then they shouldn't be the ones doing it. Absolutely, one hundred percent. It's not just anyone on the detail that should be given SOPs to write because hey, we want to fill up a ship. We want to involve you because you bought it and complacent. Yeah. No, they sh- not just everyone has got that. Um, broad view of the entire system to understand what SOPs need to be in place. Um, can I give you a quick example? Absolutely. We got so, time. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I said to detail and um, um, yeah. I said to the team leader, I was like, hey, so you're standing here in between the vehicular gate, which is quite easy to get over. And there's a, a front door on the other side of us. What, what would you do if right now someone ran past us and try to kick in the door. Mm-hmm. And the response was, well, I'll tell them to stop. Um, 
Yeah. And I said, okay, what happens if they're going to get in the house if we can't stop them? Mm-hmm. What happens if it's a you know, big, strong guy, we just physically can't stop them, um, they're not listening to us, what do you do? So the answer was, well, I'll go grab the principal through another entrance in the house, I've got a passcode, I'll find the principal, and we'll evac out the back, um, at the back gate to the waiting car. And I said, great, let's go have a look at the car. Yeah. So we walked around and the car's not there. So I said, well, where's the car? And they said, no, no, no. The principal doesn't want two vehicles parked here. So the one vehicle is doing a patrol of the neighborhood. So I was like, then how can that be your plan? Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of the things, and this was a long, long time ago. This was like yeah. in, uh, was a detail in London yeah. uh, that I was working with in the UK. So this was a long time ago in the UK. And Things have definitely changed. And, you know, the area that I work in the U.S., it's, it's not like that. It's much, much more involved in this particular detail. Yeah. But it's still lacking. Folks aren't thinking things through to the end. Yeah. So we've got to ask ourselves, um, then what? So you grab the principal, then what? You go to the gates. So where's the key? Where do you go with the other side of the gates? Mm-hmm. In other words, always ask yourself, then what? Then what happens? Then what happens? Until the incident is over. It's only when the incident is over and everyone's safe, whether it's an event or a person, yeah. when you're dealing with crowds or one person, when you're developing your plan, always ask, then what? Until mm-hmm. the end of incident. Yeah. But that's the process. It's got to go on and on and on until the end of incident. Because, yeah, that's the reality of it. And I, th- I think that comes with some real-world experience. And I think that's... I don't know, maybe that's an advantage you have on some, some folks is that you've kind of been out there and have a lot of real world experience because I feel like, I don't know. I feel like when you've been through these types of things, you know that you're going to have to find work. I call it find work when something's going on. It's like, then what? Like I need to be doing something. I need to be doing this. I need to be planning for this. And the more things we can do ahead of time and the more we can manage ahead of time so that if it happens, I know what Ivan's doing. I know what Byron's doing. We don't need right. to discuss it. We don't need to communicate. We don't need to copy Roger on them, everything. Just go right. do your thing. Yeah, I know I'm going to meet you here with this. I'll speak about it afterwards, exactly. Yeah, absolutely, and laugh about it, hopefully, afterwards. Because those and, are critical seconds. Yeah, and through decision-making, you can give yourself as many tactical advantages as possible because we don't play. We don't pick the place and time for these exactly. things, you know. Um, kind of the last topic I wanted to, I wanted to touch on with you was surveillance detection, man. You hear surveillance detection, surveillance detection, surveillance detection, you know? Um, I think, I mean, you're kind of the guy to, to ask about it. In my opinion, what would you say, um, is kind of really important about surveillance detection? Why? And then we'll go into another little bit about it. So first of all, surveillance detection, or, or I'll start at the beginning, surveillance awareness. Yeah, awareness. A, or, no, we'll go to detection, but awareness is a core skill that yeah. every field security person should have. So if I'm teaching EP, if I'm teaching COPA, if I'm teaching, it doesn't matter what I'm teaching, if it's related to people in the field, yeah. hostile surveillance and what you need to do if you suspect it. That's because if you're, if you're protecting a high net worth individual, if it's acting singing talent, if it's a Royal family, if it's a, not with based on our client demographics, this is a foundational skill that I think, yeah, I agree. 100%. And um, it's our job. Our goal is to stop a hostile act as far as possible from whoever or whatever we protected and as early as possible in the cycle. Yeah. So, 
Pascal surveillance is really the earliest time in the cycle that we as field people can stop something, disrupt that uh, attack plan or attack cycle. Um, mm. Surveillance detection is a, as opposed to surveillance awareness that we just should be aware all the time. Mm-hmm. Surveillance detection is a set of tactics that are designed to confirm or deny if there was hostile surveillance directed at whatever you're protecting within the time that you are doing that particular role. So it's not a 24-7 thing. It's not a, it okay. might be, but it doesn't always have to be. It might be. But it's my point is that it is a dedicated task that can only assess what's happening while you're doing that task. Okay. It's not assess anything else. Yeah. Something that's left out of uh, a lot of details, unfortunately, is they get the manpower, they get the training. Yeah. They don't consider analyzing the data. So without mm-hmm. a data analyst, there's no one really that joins the dots. Okay. Who says, hey, that weird blue car, you know, two of our guys seen it over the past like two or three days. And then uh, that, someone that would say, hey, that blue car is registered to so-and-so who's a member of this particular club. And yeah. three months ago, we saw someone in a, on the East Coast or on the West Coast on the other side of the country who also belongs to the same club. I see we're having a pattern. Yeah, okay. And that's what we do. Surveillance detection de- tries to t- identify correlation to something that reacts with our environment over time and distance. Wow, okay. So, if we see it once or twice, it might be something, it might be amateur, but for anyone who's a, a more professional surveillance detail, we'll need yeah. to pick that up over time and distance. Okay. Um, pick it up over time and distance, it can't be sitting in just someone's head who was involved um, because there's no one joining the dots. So if I see something and there's no data analyst, it's reliant on me or my team to remember what happened six months or three weeks ago and to join the Accurately. dots. And so a data analyst doesn't have to be a, a dedicated role. It's a function. It's not a person. So awesome. it could be someone on the team that has that role. And just okay. to end off, if you look at the, the attacks in Mumbai in 2008 uh, uh, to 2007, intelligence was connected for 12 months before there was surveillance. Wow. So it's a long thing. It's not just yeah, a, it's like a, a thing. Um, and it's pretty effective. It's, wow. It's very effective, actually. Um, it's a very effective tool, a very powerful tool. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. So essentially keeping, so it's not like a set of skills that someone is, so there's both, you know, so it sounds like one is a set of skills that over time people are consolidating information um, and analyzing that information to look for patterns and to look for, um, you know, trends that would give you suspicion or anything like help, you know, if you're being surveilled, I think I used it correctly. Yeah. And then, and then the other aspect is while I'm here uh, relative to what I'm doing and, you know, organic to what I'm doing uh, this individual or person's group may be actually watching us. Correct. Absolutely. Right and then there's the third aspect. So when I first came into the private sector, mm-hmm. surveillance detection was an unknown thing. Okay. The folks that knew it, the directors that I was speaking to that did know it because they came from government sector, from the, the Secret Service or, or the State Department. Mm-hmm. There's just no budget for dedicated teams. Yeah, that's kind of what I was just thinking. <laughs> I, I came up with a, a phrase that I used to do because I needed to earn money, right? Which was surveillance detection enabled. 
which is a pretty cool term. So surveillance detection enables is where we take Enable. the agents, so overt agents, mm-hmm. and we train them in the skills of surveillance detection mm-hmm. so that during a high-risk time, mm-hmm. they could be pulled off the detail for a week just to do surveillance detection and then slip back into their role. So week or two weeks or whatever, month, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And um, so that's the that's the middle ground. So on the one end of the spectrum, we've got surveillance awareness, mm-hmm. which is just the regular guys that say, Hey, I think that guy is correlating with us every time we come here, they do something. Yeah. Let me get let me try to get info, let me report it to our data analyst. And yeah. then there's a dedicated covert team, and then there's a surveillance detection enabled. Wow. Which is a regular team. Yeah. Okay. Are there any like are there any principles of knowing whether or not you're being surveilled that stand out that you want to touch on? Gut feel. Huh? Gut feel. Trust your gut. Trust your instinct. Trust your gut. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the most, there's others. And, mm. and I, I can't make a living of trust your gut. Yeah. Are yeah. the techniques that I teach that work mm. in the real, but trust your gut is the, the biggest insecurity um, you'll know when something's not right a lot of the time. Trust it. Be curious. Mm-hmm. If something's not right. Find out what's not right. Find out why it's not right. Um, so be curious about it. And when I say find out, don't do an, an analysis within yourself to say, well, they walked a little strangely. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's more about, hey, this guy's moving. His movement's not right. Let me, let me see who he is. Let me see what's going on. Um, because when we're in the field, we don't have time for deep analysis. We have to be curious and we have to go find out what's going on. Um, yeah. So that is one. And the other one is uh, just be aware of, of, of repeated sightings over time and distance of people mm-hmm. and vehicles. So it might be logical and yeah. it might be illogical. So if you're at a tourist site, you're traveling with your principal and you're at a tourist site, um, I'll use this role, for example, because I know you, you've been out there, right? So, oh, yeah. If you're at if you're at uh, if you're at the, the wall, the wailing wall, oh, and yeah. then you see someone that you're not sure of, and you see that same person at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, mm. it might not be anything because they're doing the same as you guys. It's Everyone's doing the thing, yeah, the tour. If you see that same person across the country at a little restaurant somewhere, it's probably strange, right? Yeah. If you see them in Cyprus the next week. It's probably strange. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to. You know, the biggest thing I'll tell you, the biggest takeaway is uh, next to trust your gut is mm. know your environment. Know it's normal. Know it's yeah. expected. And when it's not expected, you've got to find out what it is. Mm. The real difference between identifying a potential attacker or a potential surveillance mm. is the similarity of, of unordinary things, non-ordinary things that you have to yeah. Re- Learn to recognize the Tijuana zebra. <laughs> yo i did an episode with ed, ed caldrone yeah yeah good dude man and one of the things he was talking about is know how to recognize the tijuana zebra like, what are you talking about bro he's like in tijuana they got these donkeys painted like zebras and i'm like what are you and he's like it's perfectly normal in tijuana you see a donkey painted like a zebra you don't know one bats an eye but exactly. relative, you know anywhere else in the world this is like you know a, a catastrophic like ridiculous event you know exactly. uh, so you got to be able to recognize that tijuana zebra man what's relative organic again i say this word organic but what's really a lot of it's what's relative to your environment what's relevant what should be there what shouldn't be there what's normal absolutely yeah, what's, what's the and it's not us. Yeah, thank everything that's good it's not us that defines normal 
It's the environment that defines normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, what are the locals? What what are the locals staring at? Like it's out of place, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Um, no, that's good. Gouge, man, you're a wealth of your wealth of knowledge. I'm, I just I'm, I just talk a lot, man. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you got a lot to talk about. You know, it's it's really it's been an honor having you on here. Um, and man, I've you know getting some good content, some good stuff for people to learn from. I'm sure everyone's going to be coming to your to your courses after listening to how knowledgeable you are, man. Um, I think you're an awesome fusion between an individual with a big heart and uh, deep, um, a deep vat of skill set and tactical knowledge, but also real world experience. And uh, I really respect that about you. Uh, every time I've come in contact with you, that's, those are the vibes I've gotten. I uh, really appreciate Thanks, that. Much appreciated. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Absolutely. 100%. Um, Executive protection lifestyle. So one of the things I like to ask too, are there any rituals that you do as an individual or that you think make you better as a person or better at your job? Like daily stuff you do or, you know, things you do in your life that you think contribute to who you are and your success and things like this. Uh, absolutely, man. Getting out to nature. Heck yeah. So I am um, mountain bike. And my main drive for mountain biking is to discover trails to run on. Yeah. When I'm not biking, I'm running. Um, okay. That's my biggest ritual. Awesome. I'll sit out there and I'll meditate and I'll, I'll beat my demons. Mm-hmm. That's, where, that's where I beat my demons and, um, and I feel great. And I get, I keep, I get healthy. I keep healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's absolutely, that's for me. That's my temple. Yeah, yeah. Nature where there's, there's no one, there's nothing motorized, there's nothing going on. Um, and I managed to do it when I travel as well. So I don't mind back when I travel, but it's pretty easy to bring a pair of shorts and a, some running shoes in a bag. Yeah. Um, so that's it, absolutely. And uh, Get out that's my thing, yes. So that's oh. my rituals. I don't do it as often as I'd like to. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not an everyday thing, but, you know, when possible, it's at least uh, four or five times a week. Heck yeah. Good to go. Yeah. So get out in nature, bang the body up, you connect. know, exercise your demons, connect with the universe and the and nature, man. It's one of the most amazing things. That's in the world. It. And I don't listen to music. So yeah. I'll phone off. It's You're only, all natural out there. It's just, well, it's just for emergencies. I will have a phone. Um, yeah. But yeah, no music, no nothing. Just listen to the sounds. Just listen to your feet mm-hmm. on the on the trail. Listen to the yeah. animals out there. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's without a doubt. Um, that's a big one. Heck yeah! No, that's good, man. I can. I mean, I can see you change when you start talking about it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like that's your sanctuary. That's good to go, brother. Um, what are you doing nowadays? Where can we find you? So right now, right now I'm sitting in Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> Far from the far, far enough away from the strip to not be affected by it. So yeah, right. Right now, I'm sitting in Vegas. We've just finished a uh, on behalf of a solution. Um, I just finished teaching a fixed site security management class, which dealt really a lot with um, managing a team, identifying risk, and developing ways to mitigate the risk based on the RTVA process as opposed to no process. Um, great, fantastic class, everyone really dug deep and, and did well. Um, and then tomorrow we're starting a micro Intel class or protective Intel class, which is... Uh, it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. 
it's taking the concept of protective intelligence, which is not a new concept. It's a, it's, it's a good concept, but not, not my concept. Yeah. Um, but I'm giving for fields folks, um, for the fields agents, I'm giving them the skills to use what I call micro intelligence. Okay. Um, to help identify risk, to help identify people that can be assets when they're out working with detail. Um, so that really goes from everything from um, open source intel, how to identify the risk of your principal from open source intel. So even though a lot of the organizations we work with have their intel departments, this is another layer that's more tactical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what what ground truth there is on the ground as far as intelligence goes. So, okay. Yeah. So what happens if I'm advancing? What intel can I, I glean from the environment that will help me understand better risk? to the principal, what's going on in the environment. Man. Um, how do I go do how do I go find out where my principal's gonna be sitting in a restaurant mm. if they've got a reservation under a name that I don't know and I don't want to, you know, how do I do that? Skyline myself. Yeah. Right. So there's there's ways to there's pretty cool ways to um I'd say partnership with people in the field without them knowing that you're partnering with them. That's, that's is- the best way I can say that. Ninji security stuff is what this is right here. It's pretty ninji. It's all, you know, completely, um, it's all, of course, completely illegal and completely cool. It's all fine. It's just, it's how to use what the environment gives us to help understand risk to our principle over and above the typical stuff we look at. Yeah. I picture like a guy in the NAM era, like learning how to use the jungle, like a green beret. Like he's out there learning how to like make straws out of this branch and like catch, make punji pits and all this trash. But then relative to our environment now, essentially. So the urban jungle, right? Exactly. The urban jungle, all the different social dynamics, all the tools that you have that you don't realize you have. Exactly. um, And how to really, really leverage those and just make you a smarter, just a smarter agent all all together. Exactly. So it's not actually, it's not, intelligence is a sexy word we use for it. It's not the most accurate word. Uh, A better word would be information. Okay. It's about information we can we can get from the field and from people in the field. Yeah. Um, so you know, all sorts of small stuff. Um, how to help our principles and how to, uh, yeah. Without skylining ourselves. How okay? Where is that course and how long is it? Just so that's taking place here in Vegas. It starts tomorrow. Three day oh, okay. class. It's a it's a level one basic. Mm-hmm. So three. It's going to be three very intense days. Yeah. Um, and. and our- yeah, go ahead. Are these courses through your company or are these courses? So this is a, this is a AS Solution class. So anyone that's okay. interested, go to assolution.com. Hit on the Academy link and you'll see them down at the bottom. There's some other classes listed through AS uh, for later this year. Some of them I'm teaching, some of them I'm not, but there's really some good stuff up on the website. Mm-hmm. It's worth checking out. Um, okay. And then uh, I'm getting ready. So I'm getting ready to be in Israel for a little bit after this okay. trip. It's a long yeah. trip. And then right after that, I'm going in uh, early February. I'm presenting on, actually, I'm presenting on protecting public spaces from terrorism awesome. at a, um, a really big conference in, in London, the UK, which is the Counter-Terror Expo, CTX. Also, well worth checking out. Um, so I'm speaking in the Mass Transport and Border Security Conference within that. Fantastic. Uh, and lots of stuff going on, and then at the end of uh, at the end of March, I'll be speaking at the ASIS conference in Rotterdam that I'm looking forward to. 
which is a very uh, academic talk, actually. It's based on uh, identifying or, or, or ROI uh, when considering the risk of terrorism and security measures to increase your business. Wow. So, yeah, You're so, that's, so that's, academic, man. You're so, like, sophisticated. <laughs> I, love I love it, man. I like guys that have both. You know, like, and you know what I find that's really interesting is guys that have the real world, like, guys that are really there, that have done it, that I respect, they have both aspects of him like one guy i'm thinking of you know i mean he's done all kinds of stuff that people like want to do you know but he's a vegan and he loves <laughs> yoga and he's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know he's an intellect he does lectures and all this at the same time you know and it's i love kind of seeing that breed of you know kind of warrior protector that's like you know it's not just unbalanced it's not just a knuckle dragger it's not just a brain you know what i mean it's that kind of hybrid so that's awesome stuff man i i respect that about you ever that's good to go thanks Byron. you know i'm gonna get on that level someday but right now i'm just learning from you guys <laughs> um it's, it's not about levels it's not about vertical levels it's about it's about horizontal um horizontal development not about vertical levels man. it's about development across. Yeah. that's what's up i appreciate that all right brother well yeah those are all the questions that's everything i had for you today man i really appreciate you coming out and spending time with me I so should we do that again on recorded <laughs> don't even say that to me <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah man no thank god we got it we got it all <laughs> yeah brother all right take care i will see you out there in the real world be in touch thanks Byron. all right brother thanks brother yeah. peace out all right boom Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that, the lifestyle behind that. You guys are already killing it. $1 a month. $5 a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on McDonald's. Hey, you want to put it towards something that's going to good use? Put it towards a podcast and get involved in our, our Patreon account at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. And if you want to find me, that's byronrogersmotivation.com. Um, you know, do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can to that Patreon account because it makes all of these things possible, ladies and gentlemen. So much love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for making those contributions. You guys rock. We're already doing amazing there, and it's just because of you guys. So thanks once again for those contributions. Boom. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. This whole entire thing actually just started off as a Facebook group that blew up and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Uh, follow us on Instagram and check us out at Executive Protection Lifestyle. 
byronrogersmotivation.com. If you want to find me, that's byronrogersmotivation.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all, stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out.